Hello, everyone, and welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast, a show about meditation, mindfulness, and your health, brought to you by aboutmeditation.com. And my name is Morgan Dix, and I am thrilled to be back with you. We've had a bit of a pause. It's been a really super busy summer. Uh, I've been traveling a lot with my family, taking lots of little vacations and a few longer vacations, and that's been really wonderful. My toddler is three years old now, so we can take some bigger trips. So I wanted to do a little a little check-in here and just let you know that we have some great shows lined up for the fall. We're going to have a couple in-depth series, one on Vipassana meditation. One thing I did this summer was go on a 10-day Vipassana retreat, a silent meditation retreat, which was awesome. And I went with six friends of mine from my men's group, and I'm in the middle of producing a series of several episodes that will cover that whole experience in depth. And then we're going to have an interview with a Mahamudra master, Dr. Daniel P. Brown, and he teaches in a Dzogchen tradition called Mahamudra. And then we're going to have several interviews. So I'm excited. The fall is going to be really full of great content. But now I just wanted to do a short show just to check in with you about your practice and share a few few experiences that I've had. And they've been more reminders for me than anything about some really important habits. So as I mentioned, I went on a 10-day silent meditation retreat in July, at the end of July. And every morning we were up at 4 a.m. This gong would sort of ring through the campus and we'd all go and start meditating at 4.30, sitting for an hour from 4.30 to 5.30. Since coming back, it's been about three weeks now, and I have continued to get up every morning at 5 a.m. And I have to tell you, it has been such a blessing. It has been amazing. And I had wanted to do this before the retreat. My intention was to start getting up early again. And I was just having trouble getting motivated to do that. So consequently, and I'm sure you can relate to this, my meditation practice would suffer. It would be compromised based on when I'd get up in the morning and I was not setting an alarm, so some days I'd be up at 6.30, but some days, if we had a rough night, I'd get up at 7.30. So it eliminated often any opportunity I had for meditating in the morning. Whereas now, I've been getting up at 5 a.m. All my worries and concerns about being tired during the day, it's a moot point because I get up and I start meditating. I'm on the cushion by 5.30 in the morning and I sit for at least 30, sometimes 45 minutes. Then I do some reading, and then I often go for a run and exercise. And I tell you, that's like a slingshot into your day. So I'm usually done with all that by 7.30, and I'm ready to rock, you know, I'm ready to play with my daughter, take her to school, get to work, and put in a full work day and definitely like come nine o'clock at night I'm tired but I'm not fatigued during the day 
like I thought I would be. And there's something about getting up early in the morning and priming your pump and getting your mindset right. First thing, when everything's still quiet, quiet outside, quiet inside, it is so important. And it's it's important for a lot of different reasons because when we get up in the morning, we're in this sort of very sensitive state. I'm guessing you can relate to that. And it's really important to sort of calibrate your being at the start of the day, because if you do, it will last the entire day. It literally is. It's like pulling back the bow and shooting that arrow, just boom, and, and you're launching that arrow, which is, I guess, your intention through the day. And when you do it in the morning, it's just that arrow soars in this beautiful, smooth arc through the day. And that's you, and that's your decisions, and that's your convictions, and that's your productivity, and that's your, that's your, uh, your, your sense of resolution. All these things, they, they affect the quality of, your, quality of your being. And then, of course, the quality of your being through the day affects everything. So that's why it's so important. It's, it's important for your performance during the day and whatever you're doing, but it's important for your, your mindset and your sense of deep well-being. You, you're you're going to be more resilient. I'm more resilient. I can, I can just handle more stress. If I get upset or angry about something, I'm able to just sort of sit with that and metabolize it faster. But in general, there's also, there's just more give. You know, it doesn't hit me as deep. And I think that's because I've really, I've primed my myself. I've primed myself early in the day. So that's been a huge win and a big takeaway for me after the retreat is just getting up early. And, I, and so now, yeah, it, there's a bit of a streak there. And it's about three weeks and I can see it's rubbing off. My wife is getting up earlier too. In general, she probably has a better track record of getting up earlier than me over the last few years. So um, I'm not, I definitely don't, I don't have a, a step on her really. It, it's, we, we kind of mutually inspire each other. But I know, I know it's positive. I know it's helpful for her too. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so I wanted to share that basic tip. If that's something you're struggling with, like finding the time to meditate and wondering how to kind of optimize your morning, I cannot recommend highly enough, get up earlier than you think you should. Maybe maybe just set your alarm for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes earlier than you usually would and dedicate that time to your meditation. Dedicate it to priming your mind and your being. And you can, you can sit silently during that time. You can create a complement of exercises in your routine. So you can do sitting in meditation, just sitting quietly, sitting very still. You can do reading. So lately I've been reading a few different books by Adyashanti, which I've been loving, and that that's very nourishing. I also do some deep breathing. So at the end of my meditation, I'll do like from 10 to 20 really deep ujjayi breaths from from yoga. And that just gets the whole prana going. It gets my energy going. And also it's just, it lightens your being to do that. 
So I'll do that. And um, sometimes I will read through my 2019 goals, like my major goals for the year. I'll just review those. And that that is often really helpful. And if you can add to that, maybe visualizing your success in relationship to those goals, that's all really helpful. So yeah, and the other thing that I've taken away from the retreat that I am really benefiting from was we would eat at 6.30 in the morning and at 11 a.m. And then in the evening at 5.30 or 5, I can't remember, you just get a, a piece of fruit. So there was really no dinner. It was just like a dinner snack. And I'd usually have a banana. But when I got home, I realized how great I felt on that routine. So I started to eliminate dinner. And I just have been having chicken broth with miso. And I'll tell you what, I feel incredible. It helps me get up in the morning. You're really light, as you can imagine. But surprisingly, I'm pretty, I'm also pretty fulfilled by the miso and the, and the chicken soup. And I've heard about the, be- the benefits of intermittent fasting before, which is kind of what this is, going for 14 to 18 hours between eating and giving, giving your body just that downtime. And so far, so good. I love it. And I don't, to be honest, I don't miss dinner. I wake up and I'm really hungry. And sometimes I'll have pangs of hunger like later at night. But in general, all things being equal, I feel awesome. Also shedding some pounds that I wanted to shed anyways. So that, again, that's really helpful. But I don't feel like I'm starving myself. And I don't feel like I'm, I'm kind of fasting in the deeper sense of that word. But there's just a kind of subtle renunciation of something, dinner, which is often something that I would like, which is very human, of course, I would start to think about come two or three o'clock, I'd already start thinking about dinner. And I'd be like, wondering what's for dinner? What am I going to, what am I going to make? And, and there's just obviously our, our psychology is wound up around the food that we eat. And so something has just dropped in relationship to all of that, which I really, really appreciate. So I'm not, I'm just sharing my experience that's not necessarily the right thing for everybody. And I'm not saying that you should necessarily do this or that it's a better way to do things. It's just right for me. And it's, I'm loving it. I feel great. And it, I wanted to share that. If it's something you feel called to experiment with, compelled to try, I urge you to give it a shot. It's wonderful. Okay, now I want to just share something else. These have been my takeaways from the retreat. But then I wanted to share a few things. Sometimes people write to us at aboutmeditation.com with questions. And I got a question from a gentleman. He's an older gentleman. He's 77 years old and he's retired. He's been very successful. He was an engineer and then he was an airline pilot for many years. So he's taken up meditation later in his life. And he says... I continue to attempt meditation each day without fail, but continue to ask myself why. 
I'm now 77 and retired. I don't believe I have any real problems or stress, and yet I do find some joy in the moment I spend in my attempts to meditate. I have now given up trying to empty my mind of all thought, and I try to welcome the thoughts that do pass through. I continually think I am having a breakthrough, but no real benefits yet. I will continue with what I believe is a futile exercise, and any input from you would be appreciated. You know, it's a mixed bag. He's uh, he's obviously, he is getting some benefit from this, but he's also conflicted and confused. I wanted to share it because I think a lot of people feel this way about meditation, especially when you're new to meditation. I wanted to share with you my response to him. So he's been meditating now for like probably six months maybe. And I said to him, it's always important to remember you're brand new to this practice. So for example, imagine that you're 77 and picking up a hockey stick for the first time and you don't know how to skate either. It's your first time on on ice, but you want to play hockey. So you've got to learn how to skate and then how to handle a stick and a puck and then you have to learn how to pass, then you have to learn the rules of the game, you need to learn how to flow with other players. At 77, that's going to be no easy feat. So similarly, it's going to take practice for you to learn meditation. It's an ancient art and science which requires a lot of practice, and you're picking this up later in life. So, of course, the hockey metaphor, it's an imperfect metaphor, but what I'm trying to convey is that a lot of people think that they can just sit down and meditation is going to be easy and they're just going to, like, get it. Something's going to click and, you know, their mind's going to go quiet and they're going to, they're going to just descend into or ascend into this peaceful domain where they can retreat from the world and just floating on a cloud. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's some truth to that, but you you have to put in a lot of practice. I didn't have a breakthrough in meditation for eight years, and I practiced every day for hours. And granted, I was in a really hard school of meditation with a pretty unforgiving teacher who was relentlessly putting pressure on us, and in retrospect, don't really subscribe to his methodologies because I just, I think they were crude and gross ultimately. But uh, in the end, it worked for me. After eight years, I had this sort of tremendous breakthrough. But I was, I wanted to convey to him like, look, this is like anything, any new skill or art or science that you're trying to pick up. It takes a lot of practice. And I said, part of the challenge is that meditation requires you to build a muscle that you don't have until you start the practice. So you can be a wor- you could be a world-class chess master. You could beat the IBM supercomputer. But that won't help you with meditation. And, and in fact, it might even hurt you because you're so used to your mind helping you conquer any challenge. Whereas in this case, with meditation, you need to learn how to put the mind down. And your mind is what's full of doubt about the utility of meditation. The part of you that thinks this is a futile exercise is the part of you that meditation will eventually help you ignore and transcend.
But of course, it takes a lot of time and practice. So I was trying to convey here, I, I think it's probably, I think it's obvious, you know, you can't meditate with your mind. And, and especially in the West, we use our mind to navigate everything. And meditation requires you to step outside the whole orbit of your discursive, churning mind. And, it, and so it, it requires you literally to build a muscle and a capacity and a sensitivity that you don't have yet. And I said, I said, you need to take every little win and celebrate it. Every time you sit still in meditation for your set amount of time, that's a victory. Your mind can't fathom the value of this practice because the value of this practice is beyond our, our discursive minds. That's not just true for you, it's true for every human being. It's true for all of us. I hope you can relate to all this because I just think we can't hear this message enough. It takes time. Meditation takes time to really build the kind of practice that's going to nourish your being, your soul, and your spirit, to, to build the type of practice that's going to carry you through really challenging times, to build the kind of practice that's going to give you buoyancy when, when you're really up against the wall, that just takes time. You have to invest in it. You have to invest. You have to practice with some regularity. And then I guarantee it, you will have breakthroughs. That's just how it goes. And, and again, let's use this metaphor, the stone worker. Let's use the metaphor of the stone worker. So you have, he's sitting there and he's got this giant, huge boulder, like this giant rock. And he's swinging his hammer against the wedge that's against the rock. And this is, you know, that hammer, that's like a 50-pound a, a hammer with, a, with an iron wedge. And he's hitting it against the rock. And he's hit it 200 times. And it doesn't appear that anything is happening. But then on the 201st time, crack. The entire rock splits in half. Now, up until that moment, it didn't look like anything was happening. But the truth is, every one of those strikes that he was making on the rock was slowly but surely impacting the molecular structure of that rock. It was slowly weakening the structure of the rock. It was all having an impact. Every one of those strokes mattered. But of course, you couldn't see that from the outside. That was all happening at a level that you couldn't see. And it's the same thing with meditation. You're, you're going and you're sitting down. It's the same thing as you're striking that rock again and again. And eventually the crust on your, the crust of your mind, it's going to crack and you're going to, and the light is going to shoot through and you're going to be like, Oh my God, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's it. That's, that's it. That's me. Oh my God. This is me. This is also me. This light, this, this goodness, this perfection, this, this conviction that life is good. That's me. That's at the core of, at the core of who I am. That's me. Oh my God. 
that's there. It's just the baseline. I didn't know. That's life. That is life. That is life breaking through. And that's what it's like. That's 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 what we're, you know, we're meditating for so many reasons, but one of them is to ultimately come into alignment with the deeper dimensions of who we are. And one of those deeper dimensions, maybe the deepest dimension, is just that pure life essence, just that that goodness at the center of who you and I are, that that pure vitality at the at the center of every living being. It's just pure light, pure goodness, pure being. That's just true for every human being. One other thing to do to nourish your practice, to feed your practice, is read. You need to read. Read some more authors who write about meditation, who read who who write about spirituality. Like I mentioned, Adyashanti is a teacher who I've been reading lately. A lot of his training came through traditional Zen, but he also has a lot of other influences, sort of Advaita Vedanta influences. And he wrote a book called The Most Important Thing, which I recommend. It's a, it's a lovely book. And it really, the way he talks about meditation in there is so resonant with how we talk about it on this podcast. And I, I recommend it highly. I think, I think you'll love it. And so Adyashanti, so he's a really good writer and a good teacher because not everyone can really write about meditation in the best way. He's a wonderful writer. And then Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, that would be another good one. I know that one was super popular. That's a great feast for your meditation practice. And the main thing is just you need to feed the habit with nourishing content that is going to keep you inspired. So... There you go. I wanted to share with you different things that have been inspiring me. I wanted to share with you some of this, uh, some of what I shared with one one of our audience members who was, I, I think ultimately what he was struggling with was context. Well, you know, why am I doing this and where is it going? And, you know, we all need that. We all need that inspiration. We all need those little kind of pick-me-ups with our practice to to remind ourselves like why why am i doing this so i hope you find all this helpful if you do please leave me a rating and a review on itunes you can head over to itunes and search for you can put in my name morgan dix or put in the one mind podcast and on itunes you can leave a rating and a review that is the single biggest way to help get the show in front of new and, and, and practicing meditators. And check out our website over at aboutmeditation.com. Of course, you can take some of our courses over there. I've put together a couple self-paced courses that you can take. And then we have another one by meditation teacher Jeff Carrera called the No Problem Meditation. It's a sweet course, really awesome. And you can find all that over at aboutmeditation.com. So that's all I got for you today. And like I said, we've got a lot of stuff, exciting stuff coming in the fall. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll be dropping these, some of these new episodes. And in the meantime, 
stay strong, stay committed, and I wish you well in your practice. Thank you.